Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. Policy Pack Software, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also by Liquidware, creators of FlexApp, the most feature-rich application layering product on the market. And of course, also by Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues regardless of where IT users or workloads are located. If you enjoy the show each week, you have them to thank. And now for some news. This week, Citrix published a security bulletin covering a set of vulnerabilities in their networking products, Citrix ADC, Citrix Gateway, and Citrix SD-WAN One-Op Edition. The vulnerabilities listed were CVE-2020-8193-8195-2020-8196-2020-8201-2020-8201-2020-8201-2020-8201-2020-8201-2020-8201-2020-8201-2020-8201-2020-8201-2020-8201-2020-8201-2020-8201-2020-8201-2020-
Citrix published their article, there was already an exploit. And for a quick timeline, the vulnerabilities were first reported on July 7th. The first mass scanning events were detected on July 9th. A honeypot was deployed on the 10th of July, and further exploits were seen by the 11th. So even if you're confident in the security that you've got in place, this is definitely not one you want to sleep on. Don't take the chance. Just patch as soon as you can. And more security woes. This week, Oracle shared information on their upcoming July patches that are being released on July 14th. The patches address 433 different vulnerabilities. <laughs> 11 of these new security patches are for Oracle Java SE and all of those vulnerabilities may be remotely exploitable without authentication. So that's pretty much as bad as it gets. The highest CVSS version 3.1 base score of vulnerabilities affecting Oracle Java SE is 8.3. So not quite a 10 on the severity listing, but pretty high still. The Oracle Java SE products and versions affected by vulnerabilities that are addressed in this critical patch update are Oracle Java SE version 7, update 261, 8, update 251, 11.0.7, and 14.0.1, plus Java SE embedded version 8, update 251. Now would be a good time to entertain the possibility of just removing Java from your environment and seeing if anything breaks. <laughs> On last week's episode of the podcast, when covering the latest Windows 10 Insider build, I talked about the changes to the start menu. Well, there are also more control panel items that are being shifted from control panel to the settings menu in Windows 10. And Microsoft has stated, quote, we're continuing to work on bringing capabilities from control panel forward into settings. As part of this ongoing effort, we are migrating information found in control panel system page into the settings about page under settings system about. Links that would open the system page and control panel will now direct you into the about in settings. We are also bringing new improvements like making your device information copyable and streamlining the security information shown. And don't worry, if you're looking for more advanced controls that lived in that system page and control panel, you can still get to them from the modern about page if you need them, end quote. I guess like with anything, this is just going to be a bit of a learning curve and we'll all get used to the new settings page over time. Google have released a general purpose network security scanner with an extensible plugin system for detecting high severity vulnerabilities in an unauthenticated manner. They call it Tsunami, and Tsunami identifies open ports and subsequently fingerprints protocols, services, and other software running on the target host via a set of fingerprinting plugins. And based on the information gathered, Tsunami will select all vulnerability verification plugins matching the identified services and execute them in order to verify vulnerabilities without false positives. CBRonline.com have reported this week that the NCC group, once again, as I mentioned earlier, has been tracking the incident that I mentioned previously on the podcast 
related to F5 networks and their vulnerability closely and says that approximately 6,000 internet exposed F5 devices are now potentially vulnerable again. So if you missed that last week, it was with the big IP F5 network devices and a really significant vulnerability that people were warned to not take a break over the July 4th weekend in the United States and get a patch as soon as possible. And it seems that even after putting in place the original mitigation that was recommended, many customers were still vulnerable because it turned out that recommended mitigation was incomplete and susceptible to bypass. And unfortunately, exploitation has been seen in the wild and had been when I reported on it last week. And it's a pretty terrible week for security. TechRadar.com have reported that people have been reporting that the May update for Windows 10 has not been installing for them, with a message stating that their PC settings aren't supported yet. There was no more details in the message within Windows 10, so no indication to what is preventing the update. However, some online noticed that when they uninstall OneDrive, they were then able to install the update, and then just reinstall OneDrive again after the update and resync their files without issue. So it seems like Microsoft's own product, OneDrive, may be a blocker for some to get the May updates, which is pretty interesting. I guess at least it's better to see that that's going to be an issue and block the updates preemptively than just having a broken OneDrive for a lot of people. Droplet Computing have launched version 1.3 of the Droplet Container app. With this release, they have added a new enhanced container firewall that allows you to create network rules for your droplet containers to allow certain ports, maybe block certain ports, or even possibly block everything but one port specifically that your app needs. They have also updated the file sync between your local host and the container. It is now instantaneous and has no file size limit. According to The Verge this week, Apple have warned MacBook Pro and MacBook Air owners to not use one of those plastic webcam covers. Customers are advised to not put anything thicker than an average piece of printer paper over the web camera. So that's 0.1 millimeters in thickness. A person on Reddit shared that they cracked their brand new 16-inch MacBook Pro by having one of those webcam covers. If you own a Mac, maybe consider nothing more than a piece of tape. In another COVID-related enterprise story, the BBC reported this week that Fujitsu intends to roll out a work-life shift program for 80,000 of its employees in Japan. Staff will be able to work flexible hours and working from home will be standard wherever possible. They are by no means the first to enable work from home on a more permanent basis like this, but what I found interesting about this initiative is the flexibility of hours. I guess that would only work in certain roles, but it's interesting because one of the struggles for people who have gone to work from home in this pandemic is that everyone is in the home at the same time and they've found it difficult to keep productive and also to work set hours. So it's interesting that they're going to be giving that flexibility on an ongoing basis there. And now some scripts, tricks, and tips. This week, Advanced Installer shared a good article on file and registry redirection in MSIX and how to disable it, plus info on what the implications of doing so are. 
If you're working with it already or just trying MSIX out for yourself, this is a good article to check out, particularly if you have experience with AppV and other previous AppVert products. It should make sense to you if you have that experience already. Andreas Nick shared a PowerShell script that migrates the favorite location folder to an Edge Chromium bookmark file, bringing all of your IE favorites into Edge. So if you're looking at deploying Edge in a seamless manner and getting your users ported over from IE, check out the script. Jeremy Moskowitz shared a blog post on Azure Log Analytics. He detailed how you can deal with getting logging from thousands of your Windows 10 devices forwarded into the cloud to leverage the powerful Azure Analytics. Much like his recent blog post on MSIX AppAttach, it's very detailed and makes the step of implementing it in your environment as simple as possible, removing doubt and guesswork. So rather than stumble through it yourself, piecing things together from multiple blog posts or the official Microsoft documentation, this could be a quick win. Just check out this article. And finally, Trevor Sullivan shared some training he put together on how to build serverless functions by using the cross-platform PowerShell automation language on top of AWS Lambda. You can learn how to integrate Lambda with other AWS services such as API Gateway. And the recommended experience for those who want to take this free training is a basic understanding of IT services and their uses in the AWS cloud platform is recommended but not required. A basic understanding of PowerShell is also recommended. So if you've already got PowerShell, and you'd like to learn a little bit of how that could come into play and in use in AWS, this could be a really good training to help bridge that gap. Well, that's it for another week. Thank you all so much for listening.